Welcome back to the Darting Through the Faith podcast. I'm Father Sean Wilson. With me is Julia Monin. It is All Hallows' Eve as we record this. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Do you get it like a uh, you get like a unique joy out of starting this podcast before I'm like officially like ready? Don't you? Yeah, you like to catch it, me off guard. I do like to catch you off guard, but mm-hmm. I was going to say something in my defense. There's no. <laughs> I mean, we've been up here for a few minutes. It's yeah. not like you just sat down, plopped in, took a deep breath, and in the middle of your deep breath, I, I started. Well, that's true. But you had me. Ta- you had me thinking about. I know. Something. I distracted you. Look over there. Start the podcast. That's exactly what you did. I did. You it was did. Great. You kind of did that on purpose. Why, I mean, I didn't know I was going to start the podcast when I pointed over there, but then mm-hmm. I thought, ooh, a diversion. <laughs> But it's go time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, All Hallows Eve. Great day. It is approaching the solemnity of All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the greatest feasts all I year, isn't love it? it? I do love All Saints Day. I love it too. What do you love about it? The saints. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping you would say that. Me too. Yeah. <clears throat> Me too. Because there's so many even that you know, right, and that mm-hmm. you love, and you feel like, yeah, man, that's a great member of the church. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. He's here, mm-hmm. she's here, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh my gosh, and then there's all these numerous ones that are unnamed, that great mm-hmm. multitude. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. I just do. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. The church triumphant. That's right. Praying for us, interceding for us, and we celebrate Fighting them. Fighting for us. Fighting for us with their prayers and their mm-hmm. intercessions. It's really good. It is a good feast day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Followed by All Souls Day. Mm-hmm. Great day. Another great day. Yeah. Be black and black. Because you can wear the black vestments yeah. for All Souls Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It's one of the days that the uh, the priests are not just permitted, but encouraged to say three masses that day. Okay. Yeah. And why is that? To pray for the dead. Okay. And one of them has to be, I think you celebrate one mass for the particular intention, mm-hmm. then one mass for the intentions of the Holy Father, and then one mass for all of the faithful departed. Oh, okay. So it's so that you can offer mass for all of those intentions. Right. And that'd be the only day that that is that, yeah? Not no? quite. Okay. Well, I guess it's permitted also without like any permission on Christmas Day also. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But it's it's encouraged like really... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's great. So, you know, like the prayers for mass, there's actually three different ones for All Souls Day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of use one, then two, then three. Will you be celebrating three masses also? I plan on it. I haven't really planned it out in my calendar mm-hmm. as to when those... I'm scheduled for just one mm-hmm. per usual, but I'm sure I'll I'll, mm-hmm. uh, I'll find an altar somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Pray That's for awesome. the faithful departed. Pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and... Yeah. What else this month, this new month now, any like particularly exciting feast days for you besides these two great ones we start out well, with? And then, you know, like insider <clears throat> moment, uh, the third is, you know that one? Uh, I want to say Guardian Angels, but that's not right. That's October yeah. 2nd. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. The feast of the dedication of our cathedral in Cincinnati. Oh, that was yeah. a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You got you to gotta be on the inside to know that one. <laughs> That's why you said yeah. insider. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Inside the archdiocese. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the anniversary of the dedication. Okay. So that's pretty cool. That's great. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of good ones in there November. Are. Martin de Tours is coming up. Mm. Uh, we got mm. a stained glass window of him. Yeah. Mm. He's on uh, the 11th, I think, in November. Um, yeah. St. Cecilia on the mm. 22nd. Of course, Thanksgiving Day. That's always a great day. Mm. 
and then really one of my all-time favorites mm-hmm. is almost always, maybe it's always in November, is the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of King the universe. King of the universe. End of the ordinary time, right? Pretty much. You know, this, the next week is still ordinary time until you get to the first Sunday. Last Sunday of ordinary time. True that. Okay, before we yeah. begin the first week of Advent. Yeah, okay. so it's, we're on. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're barreling down there. Wow. In November, in uh, the 14th and 15th, in Carmel, we celebrate all Carmelite saints oh. and all Carmelite souls, which is a big day. Mm-hmm. Ooh, speaking of that, we're going to have to do some rescheduling because I'm taking a little pilgrimage mm. over that time. So do some mm. extra praying. So anyway, we can okay. figure that out later. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <clears throat> um, yeah, okay, great month. Another great month. I mean, it's not October, but it's good. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm not going to keep beating that horse. Huh? I'm just not going to. You can like October. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't need to apologize for it. I guess is what I'm trying okay. to say. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. I just like to poke fun at you. I think I like to pick on you about that as much as you like to catch me off guard when mm. you're starting this. Right. So, the thing is, like, I, I don't. Maybe, maybe it appears different on the outside. So maybe you have to tell me. Mm-hmm. I don't get terribly riled up because I am so confident that August is better. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there is, there's great security in that. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Do his externals speak something different than that? I, I think they might slightly speak something oh, really? different. Okay. Maybe not like intensely riled up, but sure. um, I, anyway, okay. Okay. Well, I am very confident that August is better. <laughs> okay. But I do like to argue it uh-huh. because that's fun. Sure. Oh, you know what else you should mention? Speaking do of tell. great saints and our potential new patron, because this will get released oh, on Friday. Yeah. Come to the Wax Museum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on Sunday, the day yeah. after that. What is the actual date of that? Sixth. The sixth. Yeah. November 6th. So if you're listening to this, come to the Wax Museums to yeah. help vote for a potential patron of our mm-hmm. parishes. There's Not some goodies. after the 930 Mass at St. Joseph mm-hmm. and at 230 in the afternoon in the Immaculate Conception basement. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited. Are you prepared? I am. Good. I am. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Getting more prepared as every day as mm-hmm. we draw near. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait. Wait yep. to see who the Lord wants to be our patron. I know. Well, we're just narrowing it down to three. <clears throat> oh yeah. Right. 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 So yes. Yes. So this is not the fi- the finish line. You know, it's we're, not the we've final still countdown. got some ways to go, but mm-hmm. the picture will be a little clearer mm-hmm. in a few days. Mm. Okay. We shall see. It's going to be good. We should pray. I'm ready. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for the great uh, sacred liturgy that we get to celebrate, especially as we approach this beautiful feast day of all saints. And we ask that we may realize every time we celebrate Mass that all of your saints are there present, worshiping you alongside of us. We ask for greater trust in their intercession, in their friendship, and their care for us. We entrust this podcast into the Blessed Virgin Mary's hand and ask for the intercession of Pope St. John Paul II through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So 1179 to 1186, and then we're skipping some paragraphs that were in the in brief section and jumping to 1200 to 1206. Mm-hmm. Liturgical place and diversity. So the first, where is the liturgy celebrated? And I guess clue us in like where we are in the catechism here. So we're at like the uh, the start of the section on the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So the second part is all about the sacraments and the liturgy. And so it, there's a bit of an introduction before it formally gets into the seven sacraments. So mm-hmm. this is kind of like the liturgical life. And, you know, we talked about the liturgy of the hours and Sunday and the liturgical year already so there's 
And I think we even talked like what is liturgy itself in mm-hmm. terms of like defining that in a previous episode. But this, these first few paragraphs, 1179 to 1186, is actually about where is the liturgy celebrated. So the place of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this begins by the worship in spirit and truth of the new covenant is not tied exclusively to any one place. What matters above all is that when the faithful assemble, they're the living stones gathered to be built into a spiritual house. For the body of the risen Christ is the spiritual temple from which the source of living water springs forth. Of course, then the next paragraph mentions, though, that when the exercise of religious liberty is not thwarted, Christians construct buildings for divine worship. So that makes sense. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So the the church is the people of the church are these living stones fitted together so the the building of the church makes no sense if there are no people there to worship if there's not people there to pray mm-hmm. so the the people are first and foremost but the the church is an important place because it's this set aside place for for the people to gather in in worship and in mm-hmm. prayer so and then it says they're not simply gathering places and that's that's an important thing right it's not like our it's not just like a civic center. It's like, you know what we should do is we should put removable chairs in case we want to like put these out and we want to use this for like a banquet hall, right? So that we can put some round tables in here and somebody can have their wedding reception. So it's a place dedicated, not just to be, it, it is, it's where people gather, but gather for a purpose, mm-hmm. not for a party, not for a celebration, but they gather for a purpose to prayer and praise our Lord, which I guess is the next the next one. Right, The these visible churches make visible the church living in this place, the dwelling of God, the dwelling Mm -hmm. place of God with men reconciled and united. And the church, of course, is a house of prayer, a house of prayer. So that's making sense. Now what you're saying, like we don't just build it as like a center to do other things. It's meant to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, Mm -hmm. right? Um, In which the Eucharist is celebrated and reserved where the faithful assemble and where is worshiped the presence of the Son of God, our Savior, offered for us on the sacrificial altar for the help and consolation of the faithful. Okay, yes. So the house um, ought to be in good taste, a worthy place for prayer and the sacred and yeah, sacred ceremonial. Mm-hmm. So a place that should look sacred and a place that should foster prayer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's a bunch of flat, like distracting, you know, you got neon signs all over, even if it's like a neon sign of the sacred heart, it's like that's probably not going to help people pray because mm-hmm. it's just kind of like looks like it belongs in a Catholic bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what are those things that can help people people yeah. draw draw be drawn to prayer well that um it's reminding me when we did the year of the eucharist videos we mm-hmm. did an episode on beauty and mm. we might have did a couple episodes on that but anyway sure. like what be- true beauty is what the purpose of beauty is why it's important that yeah. um we focus on what's beautiful that it really raises our hearts to god okay you were saying horrifying things by the way that are like making my soul like cringe yeah. are you trying to do that no i'm <laughs> trying to say things that i've heard before okay yeah. Okay. It's like you're saying these things. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I mean, like, I, okay, my imagination did just come up with a sacred heart neon sign, mm-hmm. but I have mm-hmm. never seen one and never heard anybody describe of that, but it was not for the purpose of making you vomit. So it was just because my <clears throat> brain, you know, just mm-hmm. coming up with stuff. All right. Well, now we get to just the beautiful, um, the, the pieces that we see in the church, what we see inside the church. First, the altar. Oh, this paragraph. Oh, what is the altar? The altar of the new covenant is the Lord's cross from which the sacraments of the Paschal mystery flow. On the altar, which is the center of the church, the sacrifice of the cross is made present under sacramental signs. The altar is also the table of the Lord to which the people of God are invited. 
Yes. So isn't that beautiful? Like, so on the cross is where the body of the Lord was offered to the Father, mm-hmm. right? He offers, Christ offers his body upon a cross to the Father. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the cross, the altar is also a symbol of the cross because it's upon that altar that the body, literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist is offered as a sacrifice to the Father. Mm-hmm. So so that's why it, it's it's mm-hmm. the cross 2.0 or, yeah, I don't know about 2.0. Right. It would be her- heretical, so. Yeah, you're continuing to say things that make me cringe. So yeah. that's what you were doing there purposely, I, I presume. That one was not. Whoa, <laughs> okay. like, hey, this isn't all about you. Okay. <laughs> Take a second. Yeah. Take a second. Right. This is beautiful, though, to think about that, like what the altar is, what the purpose of the altar is, what is happening on the altar. Even the even the idea of the table of the Lord, uh, yes, it's where we all are drawn to that. And we're to fed the sacrifice. from. And we're, yeah, yeah. Then um, 1183 talks about the tabernacle. It's to be situated in churches in a most worthy place with the greatest honor. The dignity, placing, and security of the Eucharistic tabernacle should foster adoration before the Lord, really present in the blessed sacrament of the altar. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we've probably all had the experience where we go into a church and we have to play where... Where, where is our Lord? They have mm-hmm. taken my Lord, and I don't know what mm-hmm. they've done with them. Mm-hmm. So I, it is really beautiful in our four parishes that um, for as long as maybe maybe forever, the Blessed Sacrament has always been front and center mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. And you know you always know where to find him, and he's the focal point mm-hmm. of, of, the, uh, of the attention. Mm-hmm. But you do notice the altar was listed before the tabernacle. Just and just a, a word of a word of note is um, is so when mass is happening, the altar becomes the focal point and not not the tabernacle. Which is why when like for example, you, if you see like the priest as we're going from the ambo back to our chair after giving the homily, we bow to the altar, not genuflect to the tabernacle, because at during the sacred liturgy during the mass, the altar is the focal point. So while it is awkward to put, turn your back to the you know, like at St. Joseph here, that's kind of how, how things get done. So our, it's just the way, it, because of the direction you walk, mm-hmm. right? You turn your back to the tabernacle and bow to the altar, and it feels a little bit awkward, but that's because the altar is where the action is happening. You know, right. all other times outside of Mass, you would genuflect to the tabernacles you're going by. So, What about in those situations where, as like the lay faithful, we're in a church where maybe the tabernacle isn't behind the altar or mm. isn't the center, but we're walking in? Like, is it still appropriate for us to genuflect or bow like to the altar before we would enter our pew? I, I would say it depends where the tabernacle is. <clears throat> okay. So if the tabernacle is like in a chapel that's like kind of far away, you know, you kind of got to go down a hallway or something like that, then yeah, I would bow to the altar. But if it's just like to the side, you know, like maybe like 45 degrees off to the side, I would just turn and genuflect in that direction towards mm-hmm. the... And then anytime you pass the uh, pass the chapel mm-hmm. uh, where the Blessed Sacrament's reserved, you know, of course you would genuflect. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then we talk about in this paragraph the sacred chrism, um, the sacramental sign of the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's traditionally reserved and venerated in a secure place in the sanctuary. The oil of catechumens and the oil of the sick may also be placed there. Yeah. Yeah. To all of our listeners out there, if uh, if anybody wants to make secure places for our oils, mm. not all of ours are locked up, okay. which it just, you know, they should be, and even the canon law of the church. So mm. it's one of those things that's like I have a mile long to-do list, mm-hmm. um, and it's on there. Mm-hmm. So 
securely locked in the sanctuaries where the sacred chrism should be. And you think okay. about it, it's used for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. it's, it's really important. I, yeah, so. I loved that. The seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you love the, I love the idea of like a seal. You think about like an, a seal mm-hmm. on an envelope. Mm-hmm. It just kind of enclose and locks in or like the seal on a, on like a, uh, like a, a time capsule, right? It gets mm. sealed so that everything in there is locked in. And mm. yeah. So like the Lord's goodness gets sealed by the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. us. Yes. Okay. So yeah. you're looking for like a woodworker of sorts. Well, you know, <clears throat> whatever. Somebody okay. feels called to, to purchase one. Okay. Somebody calls feels called to construct one. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm open to a, I'm okay. open to whatever. Great. Now let's see. St. Lawrence has one and it's in the, it's in the sanctuary. I see in St. John do not have one. They're set out. The oils are set out on a table. And then the St. Joseph one is actually in the back near the baptismal font, which isn't all too bad. It needs to be locked. I don't know where the key is. I've, it's never been locked since I've been here. So okay. Nobody hear this and please steal the chrism. I, I would really appreciate it if nobody stole that. But I think the people listening to this would not. I would think not. I would hope not. I would think not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Shouldn't have put that idea in anybody's well, head. Well, Grace can cut that out if we need to cut nah, that out. Nah, we won't cut it out. <laughs> okay. Any hoosies. Any hoosies. Okay. Where uh, are we? The chair. The chair and the lectern. So the chair of the bishop or that of the priest should express his office of presiding over the assembly and of directing prayer. That makes sense. Directing prayer. That's a good, like, uh, reminder of what we're doing. Like, Mm -hmm. we're leading people in prayer, showing them how to pray. Like, the priest's job is not to, like, entertain, is Mm -hmm. not to be like, oh, man, he's he's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's to lead people in prayer. Mm -hmm. And it's real tempt, like... Yeah, I've I've had celebrate mass at a couple of places where like the the chair is in the middle, like where the tabernacle should be, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel like somebody else should be here. Anyways, <laughs> um, right. right, okay, okay, directing the people prayer, the lectern or the ambo. Um, this is really beautiful too to think about this. The dignity of the word of God requires the church to have a suitable place for announcing His message, so that the attention of the people may be easily directed to that place during the liturgy of the word. That makes sense. It really does, and it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, and even just like our own intuition is like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. We want to we want a solid place where people can be directed, mm-hmm. so it should be easily known. So, for example, you don't put the ambo up in the balcony and say, well, well, you know, it's it's so that somebody's voice can carry. It sounds like God's voice coming from above. And those these are, of course, crazy ideas. And all intuitively, everybody's like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But it should be easily visible in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So, And I just love that, too, like the dignity of the word of God. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why we don't put like a music stand up there. <clears throat> right, right. Okay. Good. Um, and then we talk about baptism, penance, and then, of course, this call that the church is meant to invite people to recollection and prayer. Um, so first, baptism, okay? The gathering of the people of God begins with baptism. A church must have a place for the celebration of baptism and for fostering remembrance of the baptismal promises, so the holy water font. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a ba- place where baptism mm-hmm. can happen, but then also a place where people have access to holy water. Mm-hmm. And to remember that every time like we enter or exit a church, we bless ourselves with holy water to remind ourselves of that, that mm-hmm. the baptismal promises. Um, the renewal of the baptismal life requires penance. A church then must lend itself to the expression of repentance and the reception of forgiveness, which requires an appropriate place to receive penitence. Make sense? 
Yep. Right? To have a confessional, a place for that. And a church must also be a space that invites us to the recollection and silent prayer that extend and internalize the great prayer of the Eucharist. So we meet at the altar, we celebrate the Eucharist, we enter into the Passion, and then we our lives of prayer flow from that right. and point to that again. Yes. And what a great, like just two easy words. It extends what happens at Mass mm-hmm. in our own life and it internalizes it. So it's not just something that we go to out there, but our own private prayer in the church deepens, internalizes it, and like just, um, I want to say inculcates that mm. in our life. Wow. <laughs> fancy words, huh? That's a super fancy yeah. word. Okay. No, there was somebody I knew who would use the word inculcates all the time. Okay. And and it always made sense, okay. but it just became his word. Okay. And I mean, yeah, that's not a word yeah. like the average Joe on the street is going to say. Yeah, he was a philosophy professor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I like it. Um, okay. Invites us to recollection, invites us to silent prayer. Okay. Makes sense, too. And that would make sense, too, why the beauty of what's happening, the beauty of the church, why all that matters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And then finally, the church has an eschatological significance. So that's like preparing for heaven. To enter into the house of God, we must cross a threshold which symbolizes passing from the world wounded by sin to the world of the new life to which all men are called. This visible church is a symbol of the Father's house towards which the people of God is journeying and where the Father will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So mm-hmm. it should prepare us for heaven, right? The church building is this entry, this crossing over into heaven. Mm-hmm. And it should really prepare us for heaven, which, you know, this all gets back to the beauty aspect of why is beauty important? Well, mm-hmm. heaven's going to be beautiful. And so the church building should prepare us for what heaven is going to look like. And even so much of the um, the structure of the uh, of the church building gets patterned after and ought to be patterned after the New Jerusalem and even the temple that's in the Old Testament because mm-hmm. the church is the fulfillment of that, that temple. Mm-hmm. So crossing the threshold to that. eternity. I love that. I love it so much. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, the, the moral of the story is if you say, I don't like going to church, you won't like going to heaven. I heard somebody put it this way, right? So in heaven, we are worshiping and praising God for all eternity, mm-hmm. right? And so his comment was, if I'm struggling with that in my life here, then the chances are pretty good that I won't make that decision to join God mm-hmm. the Father when my time comes, right? Because we know that God doesn't just like condemn us and pull the rug out and say, see ya. Yeah. You're, you know, it's a choice we've made to refuse right. him. Um, and that was that's really wise to like put it that way. Like, I want to grow my life of prayer. I want to grow. I'm struggling with it now, but I recognize that if I want to be at a place where I'm going to make that choice where I want to worship you, I want to praise you for yeah. the rest of my life, um, then the Lord is going to give me opportunities to become I don't know. If, I don't know if "comfortable" is the right word, but um, to become more at peace with it here sure. and doing it here in this life. Um, so anyway, yeah, good way to put Sweet. it. Yeah. Mm. All right, and then we're going to jump. Yep, jump to twelve hundred to twelve oh six. Liturgical diversity and the unity of the mystery. So the liturg- So that's broken up into two sections. So we got like four four paragraphs and then three. So liturgical traditions in the Catholicity of the Church, and then liturgy and culture. So what's the overall? What overall? What are we talking here? When we talk about diversity in the church, when we talk about rites, when we talk about the liturgy, when we talk about just can you give us like an overall definition of that? Because I think for a lot of us, this is probably terminology that's like already foreign to us. So liturgical diversity, there are different rites in the Catholic church. 
So actually, at the Freiburg homecoming, I was talking to a couple a couple of people who stumbled upon a Byzantine rite Catholic church, and they were just kind of like thrown off by the whole thing, mm-hmm. understandably so. So there are different rites in the Catholic church. So um, the historical thing maybe is not the most important, but it's at least good to know that as the church, as the apostles went out, you know, the liturgy developed because there's no mass communication separately from each other, right? So the the apostles have this tradition of, you know, memorializing the Lord's sacrifice by emulating the Last Supper and that in preaching the word. And so that gets, you know, then they go out all over the world and then these kind of branches grow up separately, the same kind of a lot of the same structure sort, but then, you know, over a hundred years, a couple hundred years, things get a little different. Um, And so then you have different rites of the church develop, right? Whether you're in Constantinople or you're in Rome or you're in Alexandria in Northern Africa, Mm -hmm. wherever you go, like things begin to develop separately. And that just kind of happened and that's still the way it is. So I Mm -hmm. guess that's not too long of a history. There's been different like divisions and then reunifications, so... So a rite, R-I-T-E, mm-hmm. the liturgical tradition. So how the actual liturgy is celebrated, is that an easy... Mm-hmm. Ex- so the rite... Yeah, how are, the liturgy is celebrated. And so culturally speaking, and that makes sense to us, culturally speaking, so um, you know, here in the United States, the liturgy would be celebrated differently than... Um, you know, in another culture, right? It's still the same mass, still gathered at the altar, but the rite, how the liturgy is celebrated, might be different based on where you're at, culturally speaking, right. yes? Right, but here in the United States, we're predominantly Roman Rite Catholics. Mm-hmm. Same as in, you know, Central America. It's why you can go to Mass in, you know, in Honduras, and it pretty much looks, and you know exactly where you are, just basically by, without even knowing the language. Mm-hmm. If you went to a Byzantine Catholic church, you would have no clue where you are, okay. right? So it would look different. It would, like, the sitting, the standing, the actions of the priest would be completely different. Mm-hmm. So the Roman rite could be celebrated in different languages, whether you're in, you know, you're in China, you're in South Africa, you're in, uh, you know, England, mm-hmm. and you'd say, okay, I, I know where we are. Mm-hmm. Granite. Uh, two out of the three of those are just English language, I just realized, <laughs> South Africa and England. But anyways, um, you would know where you are. Mm-hmm. You go to a Byzantine, you go to a Maronite, right? You go to a Coptic mm-hmm. Catholic mass, you don't know where you are, mm-hmm. right? It's going to look, It's going to. they're going to be wearing different things, and mm-hmm. you're just going to be completely lost. Mm-hmm. Go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a bad thing to go and mm-hmm. be lost at mass. Mm-hmm. So... Any. Right. So, so still the still the Catholic Church mm-hmm. just under different rites. So, so this couple, for example, that came up and was confused about the Byzantine rite of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a question like, did they go to mass there, and they were the, wondering, did they do something wrong, or you right. know, yeah, okay, yeah. So you could go to any Catholic, no matter what rite it is, mm-hmm. counts for your Sunday obligation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, there's been a division in the Eastern Catholic Church. So these Eastern rites would be, we're Western Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. Um, The Eastern Catholic churches have had all these different kind of divisions, but then some of them are in union with um, the Pope. Mm -hmm. So that would be, so for example, the Byzantine are the Ukrainian, you can be the Ukrainian Catholic Church. That's the Ukrainian, they use the business, see, this is just going to get so confusing. <laughs> the Ukrainian Catholic Church uses the Byzantine rite, mm-hmm. the, and they're in union with the Pope. Mm-hmm. Ukrainian Catholic Church. The Ukrainian Orthodox Church is not in union, so the Orthodox churches are not in union with the, the church. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they actually celebrate mass the same way as the Ukrainian Catholic church. Mm. Right. So they're going to celebrate mass the same way. Just some of them say like, we got to get back with the Pope. Mm-hmm. So, so is that, is that what's called a schism then? It is. Yeah. Okay. So that, that happened from the great schism in 1054. Mm-hmm. 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 I guess maybe the thing to know mm-hmm. or the thing just to like keep in our minds, the Catholic church is bigger and more diverse mm. than we see in our own backyard. Yes. Right. And the, and even, you know, in, even for, for our parishioners, um, you could go to a place that has a lot of like um, traditionally Eastern European immigrants and, and there's going to be these different churches because of the people that came from, you know, people that come from, from Ukraine, people that come from Romania, people that come from Armenia, and they're, they're going to be, have these Eastern Catholic churches and they come and they, they've begun those here. Mm-hmm. So you can go to those masses, especially places with large Eastern European populations. Cleveland would be, Detroit would be places like that, Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, you don't have to know all of these details, mm-hmm. but just so two things to know. The Catholic Church is more diverse and kind of like just richer than our own experience. Mm-hmm. And if you find the, yourself in these situations, East, go to the Eastern Catholic Church. They're in union with the Pope. The Eastern Orthodox are not. Okay. Right? Okay. So. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So the diverse liturgical traditions have arisen by the very by very reason of the church's mission. That is coming from paragraph 1202. So the reason we have this is because of the mission, and we mm-hmm. are diverse. And again, we're one body in Christ, and what you're pointing out here is that it's way beyond our own understanding, because God is way beyond sure. our own understanding. So to say we can fit Catholicism in this one little box where we're all, you know, the right is the same, it, yeah. it doesn't that doesn't line up with the mission, what our, what our mission is as, as Holy Mother Church. Um, through the liturgical life of a local church, Christ, the light and salvation of all peoples, is made manifest to the particular people and culture to which that church is sent, in which she is rooted, right? Um, yes, and then in faithful obedience to tradition, the sacred council declares that Holy Mother Church holds all lawfully recognized rights to be of equal right, R-I-G-H-T, and dignity, and that she wishes to preserve them in the future and to foster them in every way. So one is not better than the other. Right. right. Okay. We're saying right and right. <laughs> right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and right like a ritual. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> so, and just to maybe just put a little, um, maybe things that are a little bit more um, in our own backyard is so that we've got the, the Roman rite of the Catholic Church mm-hmm. has two forms. So the ordinary form, that's what we celebrate. And then uh, what was called the extraordinary form for about a decade, I think now it's called the old usage, like the old Latin mass, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and there's still permissions that you can have to celebrate that. But then even also with that would be the Anglican use, right? So Pope Benedict made a provision. So when Anglicans became Catholic, they could celebrate the sacred liturgy as their, they had. So Mm -hmm. basically kind of doing some updates to the, so you know, you can go to an, a mass that looks like an Anglican thing, but it's actually a valid Catholic mass mm-hmm. because it's to hopefully bring into the, the church mm-hmm. those people who grew up Anglican but want to become Catholic, but they don't want to give up the way they've celebrated mass, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot more going on. It's really exciting, and it's beautiful that uh, our church like reaches out like, like a mom says, all right, there's room for you. Mm-hmm. Well, we might have to purify that a little bit, but mm-hmm. we'll figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
So can you can you help like so if I'm traveling, let's say, and I'm looking up. This actually happened to me not too long ago, and I noticed a steeple from outside my hotel room. Like where like. What's that church? And I believe it was Byzantine. There mm-hmm. was also a church in the Roman right, like a block right there too. Anyway, how if I'm going to somebody's website, how do I know if this church is not in union with the Pope? Like they're not going to announce on their website, I'm a, we're a schismatic church, yeah. <laughs> not in union with the Pope. So how do how do I you know how do I know that? Yeah. Um, so if you see any like um, kind of old Catholic church, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a sign that they're not in, in union. It You're, you're going to have to do your digging because mm-hmm. see, there are schisms that have happened. So schisms like this separation, even in the, in the Latin mass. So there's some parishes that celebrate the Latin mass and it's perfectly legit mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and it's great and all sorts of good stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's some places that celebrate the old Latin mass that they've actually separated themselves from the, uh, from the church. Mm-hmm. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. So if you see something that says the, uh, the society of St. Pius X, They've been, we've been working to get them back in the fold, but they're still out. Mm-hmm. If you see something, the Society of St. Pius V, they're even further out of the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. there's also, there was a schism amongst some Poles. So there's a, a Polish national church. Mm-hmm. So you see something like Polish national Catholic church. Don't, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess I think, I think too, it's just good to have your eyes open to realize that just because it says Catholic church, I don't know. Just know. 98% that, of the yeah. time, it's mm-hmm. going to be good. But mm-hmm. if you see something fishy, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. just keep your, mm-hmm. keep your, but I, I say fishy, but you know, you go to a Byzantine Catholic church and this family was telling me when they went to the Byzantine, right? Um, they were super welcoming, right? Mm-hmm. They just wanted to, they just wanted to welcome them to help mm-hmm. them learn. You know, they were like, um, I don't. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it seemed almost like overbearing, mm-hmm. right? They were so hospitable that they wanted, oh, come on, sit up at the front. No, that's, which I would recommend if you're going to go to like a, you know, a, a Ciro Malachar uh, divine liturgy, don't sit in the front row. Like even if you're used to sitting <laughs> in the front row and singing your heart out at mm-hmm. mass, mm-hmm. if you're in a different rite, I would sit in the back mm-hmm. because, you know, sometimes even receiving Holy Communion. So. Sure. Yeah, you kind of want to watch that. So people receive Holy Communion. There's some where um, they'll put the precious blood on a spoon, the body of Christ in, on that spoon with the mm-hmm. precious blood. You tilt your head back, and they pour the body and blood of Christ right mm-hmm. into your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of places where they'll do intinction, right? Dip the body of Christ in the blood of Christ and then go straight onto your tongue. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's legitimate in the Roman rite, too. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, yeah, diversity, diversity, Catholic diversity. Um, I guess it's important to note too what what's mentioned in twelve oh five, in the liturgy above above all that of the sacraments, there is an immutable part, a part that is divinely instituted and of which the Church is the guardian, and parts that can be changed, which the Church has the power and on occasion also the duty to adapt to the cultures of recently evangelized peoples. I think that's important to note too. Yeah. So, so the the last three sections are mm-hmm. kind of about enculturation is the fancy word. So, how does this mass exist in a culture? So, like when, and you, th- I I was studying Latin one time, and this was just fascinating for me because I would, you know, we were asking the professor. So, when the church goes on missionaries, when you just had the lat the Latin mass, 
how is that for like a sub-Saharan African place where like they're not going to understand Latin? Um, and he said, actually, it really wasn't a huge deal because they were used to having a sacred language, even in like their tribal languages. I was like, mm. oh, that's pretty fascinating. Mm. But there was actually something that uh, was kind of cool that came out of this like missionary work. And I think this was in like kind of the middle of the 1900s um, where a priest was a missionary and wrote a setting of the mass part. So like the holy, 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 mm -hmm. the uh, the stay, the Gloria in like a Congolese kind of rhythm. Um, so it's, I believe it's the Misa de Luba. Mm. And so they would go actually go around and perform this. And so it's all in Latin, but it feels like African tribal music. It's mm. beautiful. Mm. So the question is like, how does the sacred liturgy meet a culture? And I would argue that you see this in the United States take place in primarily two ways. How does the liturgy meet our culture? Mm. Specifically having sets of prayers for mass for American holidays. Right, so Thanksgiving Day, there's particular masses that you celebrate for Thanksgiving Day. That's only an American thing, mm -hmm. but it's about giving thanks to God. Right, it, it tries to take this great idea of like, okay, Thanksgiving Day, we can work with that. Mm -hmm. Let's make it Catholic. Mm -hmm. And then even like Labor Day, okay, celebrating human work is okay. Right, so how are we going to do that? Well. Let's talk about the dignity of human labor, St. Joseph the Worker. Memorial Day, right? Visiting all the, visiting the faithful departed. Like, okay, we can, we can work with that, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, how does the sacred liturgy meet the culture? Mm -hmm. And even that's really why hymns are used in the United States of America. It's not particularly a Catholic thing. Hymns are really Protestant. But the, the religious kind of mindset of the United States of America has been so tied with hymns that it actually sort of, it, it fits, and, and we, we get to adapt the liturgy to make hymns a part of it. Mm -hmm. So hymns aren't specifically Catholic, like it just in their origin. But we find, well, I say that, but that's not exactly true. In the Mass, hymns were more appropriate and used more the Liturgy of the Hours. Okay. Different discussion for a different day. Mm -hmm. but, um, mm -hmm. but they find a place because we're trying to reach the culture. And so you have to say, like, as you're, okay, what can we change? If we say, like, all this sacrificial language, we don't want that. That's not really American. We're all about look out for number one. Mm -hmm. No, we're not going to do that, right? Gotcha. Like, so there's those things that we can't change. Even... Um, you know, like our culture doesn't understand what it means for the priest to wash his hands. You know, that, that's, that doesn't speak to us. Like that's actually not something that can change. What, what is, what are those? So what are those things that we can adapt? Mm -hmm. And even, so if you go to mass in Africa, there's, there's things that get adapted for like the procession of the gifts where there'll be certain things, you know, even dances that are appropriate in Africa, but are not appropriate in the United States. Right. And mm -hmm. it would just be like, kind of like a, it'd be like a, It'd be odd. Mm -hmm. and it would just be like, mm -hmm. why are we doing this African thing? It's mm -hmm. beautiful that they do it there, but mm -hmm. that's not part of any of our culture. Sure. So that's this like inculturation. How do we bring the liturgy to a culture that already exists? Hmm. And you see, actually, the great image of this is Our Lady of Guadalupe. Because when Mary shows up in the tilma, she comes as a mestizo woman, as a woman that looks like she's of, in 1531, she looks like she's of Aztec descent mm -hmm. and all of this Aztec imagery. But she purifies that, and, and it's like Mary shows up in looking like an Aztec woman, and the people just convert in droves mm -hmm. because of that. But like, so how does the faith 
meet the culture? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an easy question, mm-hmm. but it's an, it's an important one to even just kind of think about. And so I'm like, I, I just great. talking for hours. No, I think it's good. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, th- because this can be such a, like I said, just as I opened, like you'd be such a confusing thing because most of us aren't even familiar with right, like what a right. right is and that there's different rights. And, you know, because a lot of us have never um, been out of our backyards. Um, that's not a bad thing. Right. Um, it's a beautiful thing. But um, anyway, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. But um, we, like we have a culture here mm-hmm. that the Roman right of the church mm-hmm. is trying to engage in. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's, a, and they're actually two distinct things like popular American religiosity and the Catholic church mm-hmm. are different things. Mm-hmm. And so how do we meet there? Um, mm-hmm. And what ways do we need to purify like American religiosity? Mm-hmm. And uh, what ways can that be adapted and drawn into the Catholic church? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not everyday conversations you can kind of have at a pastoral council meeting as much as I would like to. People yeah. kind of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Um, would you really like to have those conversations? I would love to, yeah. but I think people like... You know, these are the things I, like, I'm just getting all excited about this. And I'm like, man, father, I got, I got kids to put to bed. Right. But, but let's talk about how you enculturate the Catholic church in a post-modern American culture. <laughs> Who's not excited about this? I, it's life or death. Salvation of souls at stake. Anyways, you clearly need to move us on. Okay. <laughs> I was going to just put a little bow on this with really what this, with the, what this section ends with. Liturgical diversity can be a source of enrichment, but it can also provoke tensions, mutual misunderstanding, and even schisms like we talked about. In this matter, it is clear that diversity must not damage unity. That's a great, powerful line. Diversity must not damage unity. It must express only fidelity to the common faith, to the sacramental signs that the church has received from Christ, and to hierarchical communion. Cultural adaptation also requires a conversion of heart, and even, where necessary, a breaking with ancestral customs incompatible with the Catholic faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well said, catechism. Well said. Well said. Just hit them nails on them heads. They quoted uh, John Paul II quite a bit in this section. Yeah. Oh, man. You could talk about John Paul II. So (laughs) I'm getting you on another. I'm getting you on something else. All right. (laughs) So John Paul II grew up in Poland, of Mm -hmm. course, which is kind of like the meeting of these Eastern Catholic rites and the Western you know, the Roman Catholic Church. And so he always had a, a, a great hope that um, by the year 2000, there would be this reunion of all of the Eastern Orthodox with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So as he described, the church could really breathe with both lungs, oh. which is a beautiful image of mm-hmm. like East and West working together, right? The Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, some of them in union, some of them not, but so that, you know, both mm-hmm. lungs would be breathing at full capacity and... Yeah, at last it didn't happen, um, but he did just such great strides, and um, yeah. And we continue. Yeah. Okay. Breathing with both lungs. That's beautiful. Love that. Mm. So mm. here's just fun fact. Okay. Myself, a Roman Catholic priest, can get permission to celebrate Mass in another rite from their bishop. So let's say there was a need here in Wapakoneta to celebrate, you know, this, the, the Assyrian rite, but there's no priest in the area that knows the Assyrian rite. Whatever bishop of the Assyrian rite has permission over here can say, you're trained, you feel comfortable, you're confident in doing this, okay, you can, you can celebrate the Assyrian rite. They call that being bi-ritual. Okay. Yeah. All Priest right. being bi-ritual. Nice. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. There's all sorts of fun facts yeah. in this episode today. Oh my gosh, yeah. 
could go on for hours. And I, compared to a lot of people, I know relatively little about because I don't. We don't have many Eastern Catholics here. Right. Correct. Yeah. I should say correct. Ah. Correct. That's true. Okay. Good. Well. Anything else? Final thoughts? Uh, no. I think I've I think I've offered enough thoughts today <laughs> enough thoughts, that people there are, are no probably final ones. like. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna um, since we had like two different sections there, I'll just read a couple of the in brief from the first one. Christ is the true temple of God, the place where His glory dwells. By the grace of God, Christians also become temples of the Holy Spirit, living stones out of which the church is built. In its earthly state, the church needs places where the community can gather together. Our visible churches, holy places, are images of the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, toward which we are making our way on pilgrimage. It is in these churches that the church celebrates public worship to the glory of the Holy Trinity, hears the word of God and sings his praise, lifts up her prayer and offers the sacrifice of Christ sacramentally present in the midst of the assembly. These churches are also places of recollection and personal prayer. Okay. Nice. Good, good. All right. You got a place you were looking to go? No. I'm thinking up top. All right. You know? Do it. Do an upper deck. Let's see. <laughs> nope. Right. Can't do that. <laughs> oh, the go. virtue of chastity. That'd Ooh, be fun. Virtues. 2331 to 2359. That's a big old guy. 2331 to 2359. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's double checking that. He don't he doesn't believe that that's the numbers. Is it? <laughs> oh buddy. We got a lot of homework. I'm going to start yeah. reading as soon as we get yeah, home. It's almost like 30 paragraphs. What? 2331 to 2359. That's almost 30 paragraphs. Let's just double check that while we're while we're just right here. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. I am going to well, have to start on my homework right there's away. There's a lot there's a lot to say about chastity. Well, there Go is. Figure. There is. 2331 all oh, this is the entire section on the sixth commandment, I believe. Okay. Okay. No, it's not. There's no. still more. Okay, we can do it. Yeah. We'll just oh, look at this. This is going to be fun. Male and female who created them. The vocation to sac. Uh, the vocation to chastity. Integrity of the person. Integrality of the gift of self. Offenses against chastity. Various forms of chastity. Chastity and homosexuality. Doozies. Wowzers. Okay. Next week's podcast will be four and a half hours. Tune in next time. Tune Darting in next through the fame. time. Chastity. Yeah. Okay, that'll be good. These are good. That's good. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to end this one about worship and liturgy and rites with um, this this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Yeah. Mm, and this worshiping in spirit and Right. Truth. So Jesus calls to this woman. She has questions about true worship, and this is how they end their conversation here. This is from John chapter 4. Verses 19 through something. I Sorry, I had it wrote down, but I, I'll stop when I, I don't know when to stop when I get there. Okay. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. <laughs>